0: Good morning to you all, um, and happy Father's Day again to all the dads. Lovely to have you with us, and lovely to those joining us online as well. So today is our Father's Day service, the chance to uh, celebrate our dads, to remember um, all they've done for us, to stop and think about what it means to be a dad, Um, also to remember those, as I said, who are no longer with us as well. It's a chance, as the video we saw earlier shows us, to stop and think about what makes our dads special, what makes them unique and a chance to think about what it actually means to be a dad on Father's Day. It's a wonderful privilege to be a dad, and also mirrored with that a great responsibility to be a dad, to be a father as well. Um, sorry, I didn't actually introduce myself at the beginning. Um, as I said, my name is Rob. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. Um, I'm a dad. Um, along with Georgie, we have two kids, Eve and Neo, 14 and 12 years old. So, reaching their teenage years, pray for us. Um, <laughs> I've had to kind of get permission to, with them, what I could say and what I couldn't say today. So um, there's a number of stories I would have loved to have shared that would have fitted in nicely, but I won't share them today. I was there at the the birth of both of them, um, and they still rank up there with probably two of the greatest moments in my life. Um, And I will say publicly, I'm so proud of Georgie um, for delivering them. Um, And yeah, I'll never forget those days when they were both born. I held babies before they were born, you know, you can read about it, you can talk about it, you can be amongst other parents, but there's nothing quite like being a parent, and then suddenly it hits you. I think I might have shared this before, but when uh, Eve was born, uh, my first, I helped the uh, midwife to get her dressed into her first baby-growing nappy, and I couldn't really do it. I couldn't quite pull her arms in through the holes and put it on because I was worried I was going to break her. I'm, And then when she was handed to me and I held her for the first time, I held her and I didn't move. I didn't move for so long that my arm actually went numb, because in my head, I thought, if I move, she might, you know, something might happen, she might break. And I'd held babies before, but suddenly this was different, being my own. Because it hit me, suddenly, the the weight of being a parent and what that really meant. I don't know about you, but when I watch TV shows or films, and there's that strong storyline about parents and children, it hits me because I suddenly relate to it in a way I couldn't before. And even more than that, being a parent myself has suddenly helped me understand what it means for God to love us, understanding his unconditional love that never stops. Once you're a parent, it it means something different. In the Bible, we see that God is described as a father, and that's obviously what I want to talk about today, his father heart for us. Now, it's important right at the start to say that God doesn't have a gender, he's neither male nor female, but yet the Bible talks about him with masculine pronouns, and Jesus referred to him as father, so we can too. It is also, as Sai said, it's important to recognize that Father's Day isn't easy for everybody. Our experiences of fathers may be very different and could be quite negative. But I'd like to encourage us today to come with fresh eyes of faith today as we put the fatherhood of God first. Our understanding and expectations of human fathers and mothers should actually be out of what we see the Bible talk about, God as Father. Our understanding of human fathers should be shaped by a heavenly Father who is perfect and not the other way around. So I'm going to look today at a passage in John 1, um, the first chapter of uh, John. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to that. It will also be behind me. When I was preparing for this Father's Day talk, I really felt God led me to this passage. And I hope you'll see why. So John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, and not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. So this passage is packed with so much truth, isn't it? We could probably do a whole series just on that one passage. It focuses on Jesus, when it talks about the lights, when it talks about the Word, the Son. It's all referring to Jesus. We see how Jesus was with God for all eternity. Jesus was there a part of creation uh, of the whole universe and part of their giving life. We see how Jesus the light came into the world. He was born human yet rejected by many. And we see that those who received him, he gave a new birth to become children of God. And we read there in verse 18 at the end, no one has ever seen God in, in all his fullness and yet it's Jesus the son who makes him known. And that's what I'd like to really uh, focus on today. I'd like to look at how God is a father and how we understand that through the revelation of Jesus and look at what that relationship means for us today. So the concept of God as father, you see mostly in the New Testament. It's far more prominent there. But there are glimpses in the Old Testament which I'd just like to start at. You know, After all, God has not changed. He's always been a father. As Paul says in Ephesians 3, He says, God is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he's the first father, the creator of all, the benchmark, if you will, of what a father is like. So I just want to start quickly in the Old Testament, a few verses from there. Fits nicely the first one, because we're looking at Exodus at the moment, as our series as a church. And God spoke to Moses and said this. And he said, told Moses, say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Or David in the Psalms said this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But I think for me, one of the most powerful examples of God as father in the Old Testament is in Hosea chapter 11. This is what it says. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. What a beautiful image, isn't it, of God as Father holding the hands of his child, teaching them to walk, a father who never stopped loving and supporting them. You know, if you look closely, sadly, there. It says that the more God loved them, the more they went away after other things. And yet God never stops loving. Later in that passage, in verse 8, it says, God said, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My compassion grows warm and tender. So there are examples in the Old Testament of God as Father, and we see him still there, loving and compassionate. But it's far more prominent, as I said, in the New Testament, because that's when Jesus came. Jesus said himself in John 6, No one has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So today we're going to focus on how Jesus is the one who comprehensively shows us or reveals to us what God the Father is like. And so there's different ways I think that he shows us that, he reveals the Father. And the first is his teaching. And for example, his parables would be a great way to look at God as Father. One of the most well-known parables, I think, that shows this best is the parable of the prodigal son. You can find it in Luke 15. Simon so mentioned it a bit briefly last week. But to summarize, if you don't know the story, there are two sons uh, of, a, of the father, and the youngest son asks for his inheritance and wants all that's his. Now, obviously, as you know, inheritance is come after a person passes away. So many people see this parable as quite insulting that the son basically kind of wishes his father to be gone so he can have his inheritance now. However, the father does graciously give the son his inheritance, probably a third up to maybe a half of everything. He was the younger son, so the older son would have had more. But the son takes it and runs, squanders it, um, spends it very quickly on you know, loose living, wild living, to a point where he has nothing left and has to resort to eating pig food just to survive. He realizes how wrong he was and decides he's going to go home. He practices a speech to apologize to his dad. And he thinks, if I go home, I could offer to just be a servant of my father. At least that way, I'll get fed. Now, parables, remember, teach us about something about God, or perhaps how we relate to him or others. The characters are often representative of other people or God himself. So in this parable, when we read about the father of the prodigal son, We should understand it as God the Father. When the son returns home, rock bottom, broken, ready to apologize, the father sees him from a long way off and runs to him. It's a beautiful picture. The father is running to his son, who's returned. And as Sai said last week, that would be very undignified for a man in that culture to run. Even more undignified than Sai running after the bin men in his dressing gown. I can't get that image out of my head. Sorry. (laughs) The father embraces him, kisses him, puts a uh, a robe on him, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and then says, we need to celebrate, let's get a feast. I think that's an amazing picture of a father. If you think about everything that this father in the parable does for the child, it's quite amazing. He obviously provided for him, raised him, prepared an inheritance for him. He gave him independence and allowed him to make that choice to go. But at the same time, he was patient and waiting for his son to return. And he even was willing to lower himself to be undignified for the sake of putting that relationship right. The father fully forgave the son. I think even before the chance, he had a chance to apologize. And if you read in the parable, the son doesn't get through his whole speech because his father's just too busy kissing him and hugging him. The father restores him, honors him, celebrates him. And this is how God is to us. Just like in Hosea, God never stops loving, even when the children turn away and run after other things. Another way that God, uh, Jesus reveals God the Father is through the relationship that he had with his Father. You know, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray to, to our Father in Heaven. And that's not a religious thing we have to say by rote, but this is an invitation for us to commune with God in a personal, close relationship because that's how Jesus did himself. You see it in the way he prayed. Every time he prayed, he's praying to his Father. Throughout his time on earth, you see that Jesus constantly went to have uh, time alone with his Father. That relationship he had with the Father was the center of everything he did, wasn't it? He said he was here to do the will of his Father, to do what his Father commanded him. But I think what's important to note is that that relationship wasn't new. It didn't start when Jesus was born here. Jesus had that relationship all, for all eternity. If you think in John 1, the opening, chapter, the opening verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus and the Father had known and loved each other for all eternity. So it wasn't a new relationship. And if you look at Jesus' baptism, there's a powerful example of the Father's heart towards his Son. It's in Matthew 3. And it says that after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he came out of the water and it says, the heavens were opened and we saw, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So we see Jesus here as part of the Trinity. It was quite nice that um, Addie mentioned that as well this morning in worship. God is declaring his pleasure over the son, as the Holy Spirit rests on him as well. This is a demonstration for us, not for him, but for us to see this internal dynamic relationship that they had. But think about what, what the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We see that, that wonderful relationship of father and son, but also the nature of that relationship. And what a thing for a parent to say over a child, you know, this is my son or daughter, I am well pleased with them. And what I think is really interesting here is, is the timing of when God says this. If you know your Bible, you know that this after the baptism, Jesus then was, went to the wilderness and then began, began his earthly ministry of healing and teaching, of fulfilling his Father's will, of going to the cross. And, but God says, I am well pleased before any of that. And that's important to note because God is declaring his eternal, unchanging, unconditional love of his Son. Not because of what Jesus had done, because He hadn't done anything yet, you know, in terms of His earthly ministry. But this is how God loves. The Father has been pleased with His Son for all time, not dependent on what He did, but because that's how God loves, and that's how He loves us too, isn't it? Unconditionally. It reminded me of a a, a talk I heard when the children were young, and I was listening to a, a talk about being a father. I'll be honest, I don't remember most of what was said, but there was one bit that stuck with me, and it still sticks with me now. And it was the responsibility that we have as as parents to show the Father's love to our children. How we love them can demonstrate God's love. And perhaps they might have an understanding of God's grace. And in this talk, there was this little phrase that was suggested as a father that you could say when your child has misbehaved. And it went a bit like this. So... Imagine a child's done something, you would respond something like this. I love you when you listen. I love you when you completely ignore me. I love you all the time. You know, I love you when you say kind words. I love you when you say really unkind words. I love you all the time. To so just highlight to the child, actually, that my love is not dependent on you doing the good things, and I love you less when you're doing the bad things. Actually, my love for you doesn't change, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And I did say this a number of times to my children. I haven't said it as much as I perhaps should have recently. But you know what? It always stopped and reminded me of God's grace and His love for me as much as hopefully what I was trying to extend to the children. You know, it's easy to say, but actually, when you stop and consider God's love for us, it's, it's almost unbelievable. Our, his love for us is not dependent on anything we do. Amen? And I just feel that perhaps as a few here today, you need to hear that. God loves you all the time. He loves you when you've said really kind words to others. He loves you when he knows what you were really thinking. You know, he loves you when you read your Bible. He loves you when you didn't. He loves you all the time. You know, whatever it is you want to put in that, he loves you when. God loves love you, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. He loves you all the time. More than his teaching or the relationship, Jesus reveals God the Father in himself. See, the Trinity is far more than just a unique relationship between Father and Son. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are separate persons of the Trinity, each are fully God. One, per, one God, three persons. And I would recommend you going back two weeks and listening to Sai's preach when he talked about the Holy Spirit and really expanded on the Trinity. It's really, really helpful. I'd also like to re- recommend a book, The Good God by Michael Reeves. If you want to know more about the Trinity, I found this one so, so helpful. And it's quite thin. <laughs> Honestly, if I can understand, I'm sure you can. It's an easy, it's, I think it's an easy read to expand such a complex topic. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. We call this the incarnation. How God himself took on flesh to become human. In John 14, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But then Philip, one of the disciples, says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus says to him, you can always hear the frustration, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is saying, if you want to see God the Father, then look at Jesus the Son. As parents, you know, it's, it's a privilege to see your children grow and develop, see um, how they change over time, how they find their interests and their talents. Often, Georgie and I, you know, as, since the children have been young, have often joked about which bit of them comes from, from us. You know? Who's, which of them have got our, my eye color or their, well, neither of them were my eye color, but their Georgie's eye color, my eye shape perhaps, who's got whose nose, whose fingers and toes, and why they're tall and why they're into this, and perhaps some of you can relate to that. I personally don't think either look a lot like me, but Eve particularly looks a lot like Georgie, to a point where people sometimes get them muddled up. Even my own dad recently came and said, oh, hi, Georgie, and it was Eve. But even if a child looks exactly or a lot like their parents, there's still going to be so much, isn't it, that's different. Character, temperament, interest, gifting. But we see in this passage that actually when you come to Jesus, his character mirrors the Father completely. It's not like God the Father's like this and Jesus is like that. They are the same. It says in Corinthians that Christ is the image of God. In Hebrews 1, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus himself said that he and the Father are one. So he is fully God and so fully shares God's character, attributes, abilities. So all that Jesus said and did was a reflection exactly of what God the Father is like. You think about the compassion and kindness that Jesus showed, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding he had. The way he associated with all people, including those outcasts from society. His miracles, healing, power over evil spirits. His holiness, living a perfect life. His obedience and willingness to lower himself in order to restore humanity to a relationship. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, If you want to see the Father, look at me. I love how um, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, excellent book, again another recommendation, He puts it like this. He says, In Jesus, we see heaven's eternal heart walking around on two legs in time and space. I think that's a powerful image. So, what does this mean to us today? If you go back to that passage in John 1, it says, To all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what it means to us is that we are invited into this incredible relationship that we see in the Trinity. A God of infinite love, who has created us out of that love, has provided a way for us to join with him. That greatest demonstration of, of God's heart is through Jesus offering himself in our place. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus that offers us a way to the Father, believing that he is the only way. You know, one of the most well-known passages in Scripture is John 3, 16. I'm sure many know it off by heart. You know, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. And there it is again. Do you see it? The Father's love demonstrated through the Son that leads to life for those who believe. Jesus said these words to a man named Nicodemus, who was a Jewish ruler, and it's here where he explains to him you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And That's what it means to be a child of God, to be born spiritually of God, to enter into a relationship with the Father through faith in the Son. Now if you just think about Nicodemus, I don't know if you know much about him, but he would have been an old man, he would have been highly educated a very well-respected man, a teacher, a Jewish ruler. He would have lived an extremely disciplined life. He would have been very moral, and he would have obeyed everything that the Lord would have taught. And yet Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. Jesus is telling him that actually, nothing you have done will get yourself right with God. You can't make yourself right, because it's not about you. You can't earn it. The only way to be saved, to be born again, is to believe in the Son and become a child. And if it's true for someone like Nicodemus, it's true for us all. It says there in John 1 that this birth will be not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. So this means that neither physical birth, ethnic descent, human efforts, nothing like that can make us children of God. It's only by God's supernatural work. But also the flip side of the wonderful news is that it's available to us all. Amen? But we are, surely we're all children of God, you might be asking. You know, if God is the creator and he made us, then surely we're automatically sons and daughters. Yes and no. Paul addressed this topic when uh, he went to Athens. You can read, it in, in, read about it in Acts. He was discussing with the, uh, the Athenians about what God is like. And he said these words. He said, we are all indeed God's offspring because God gave life and breath to all mankind. But then he also teaches them that they need a relationship with Jesus. There's a big difference between being an offspring and understanding your relationship as a child. Think about the prodigal son again. You know, he was the rich man's offspring and he was happy to enjoy the, rich, the riches of being the child of that rich man. But actually, it wasn't until he returned before he understood what it meant to be a son. And if you know the story, there's another son in in there as well. The older son who stayed, who served, who worked hard. When the prodigal son returns, the older son's quite angry. And he says, look at me. Look how I served you. Look at everything I've done for you. And you don't put a feast on for me. But the father is patient with him as well, isn't he? He reminds him that actually now everything belongs to him. It's right to celebrate a brother who was lost and now found. And these wonderful words the father says to him, he says, The most important thing is that you will always be with me. If you think about the contrast, one of them is at rock bottom, lost everything. The other one is reliable and has everything. Yet they both missed that relationship with father, didn't they? One was selfish, rejected his father, but yet there's nothing that he could do to make his father love him less. The other one worked incredibly hard, but actually, there was nothing he could do to make his father love him anymore. With nothing left, the younger son came back and said, Actually, I'll just be a servant. But actually, the older son was no different in his attitude. He, despite having everything, still had the slave's mindset. And that's what Paul refers to in Galatians 4 when he says that through God's Son, we have received adoption as sons, we are no longer slaves. But actually we're heirs to god alongside jesus himself i love how j.i packer sums it up in his book um, knowing god he says god adopts us out of his free love not because our character and record shows us worthy to bear his name but despite that they show the opposite we are not fit for a place in god's family the idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord, Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. But yet that is nothing less than that. Sorry, but yet that and nothing less than that is exactly what our adoption means. I think I agree with J.R. Packer. It is ludicrous and wild to think that we could be treated as Jesus the Son is. But that's the truth. To be a child of God, to put faith in him, means that we are treated as one of the family. We become co-heirs with Christ, we take on the family likeness and become more like Christ in the way we live. We have a father who provides our needs. Not that that means he gives us everything he wants, you know. Think of that as a parent, which parent gives their child everything they ask for without risking spoiling them. And we also have a father who disciplines us. Again, one perhaps we don't always want to hear. But actually it's an example of God's loving heart towards us. And if you read Hebrews 12, it's actually a sign that we are a child if He disciplines us. So there's an invitation today. If you don't identify as a child of God, if you wouldn't say you're a Christian, then actually there's an invitation today to respond and to put your faith in Christ. And I'd love to pray with you afterwards, or perhaps you could talk with the person who brought you. But also for all of us who already know that we are saved, actually it's a fresh reminder of God's love towards us today. My last point I'd like to discuss this morning, what happens to children Hopefully, they grow up, and perhaps they might go on to have children themselves. One generation produces the next, doesn't it? It's an opportunity to take what we've learned and inherited from previously and pass it on to those who come after us. As children of God, we can honor our Father by sharing His love for us with those around us. I like what Jesus says in John 15. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice that cascade of love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves his disciples and then says disciples love others. It's passing it on. We have our part to play, don't we, in sharing the love of God, the joy and knowledge of Him. I don't know if in your family if you have any of those recipes that have been passed on from generation to generation. Or perhaps those funny stories or important stories that, you've, that your grandparents told you and actually now it's your responsibility to pass them on. Or perhaps it's that skill. I think there's a picture there, shaving, I was thinking about. My dad taught me to shave. It's my responsibility to teach my son to shave. We pass these things on, don't we? If you read what Paul says in Corinthians 1, 4, he saw himself as a father to the church. He said this, For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Again, Paul would have known himself as a child of God, and yet he also sees himself as a father to the church. You can hear that love and affection, can't you, for his, for his spiritual son, Timothy, who he raised in faith and then sent him to pass it on to others. And that's the challenge for us all, isn't it? Paul's challenge is to live a life of faith as he did and to raise up others around us as well, to teach, encourage, love, support, to disciple and guide other people. Like being an earthly parent, being a spiritual parent is a great responsibility and privilege to imitate Christ in a way that others would want to follow. I just want to finish just with sharing some thoughts I had on this idea of legacy. Earlier in the year, my granddad passed away, sadly just a few days after his 91st birthday. He'd been a Christian his whole life, um, since he was a child. And he was still helping to organize and run things in his local church, even up until uh, the very end. He had four children, including my mum, 10 grandchildren, 13 great-grandchildren. And what's wonderful, in that part of the family, there's so many of us who are Christian, who are walking with God. And that's something that we really remembered when we had his service, and we were all talking about what a godly example he led us, led for us, how he loved his family, how he served the church his whole life, and actually looking around at those who were there, actually so many of them have followed in his, in his path. And I was just really thinking about the fact that he is led by an example and how we followed, followed on from him. In a similar way, but slightly different, my... Granddad's sister, my aunt, she also sadly passed away in the, in the pandemic, and she loved Jesus too since she was a child, and her passion for Jesus was infectious. She remained single all her life. She never married and had, or had children, but as a young woman, she helped organize Christian camps uh, and youth activities through the schools she worked in as a teacher and through the church, and she did that for most of her life. And what was amazing at her Thanksgiving service was story after story after story of women who she had brought to the Lord during her life. She had been a spiritual mother to so many, even though she had never had her own physical children. So in both ways, they led so many by their example. We may not all be biological parents, but we can be spiritual fathers and mothers to others, can't we? As we share the love of the Father, as we imitate Christ the Son. Amen. Amen. so can I invite the band to come back up so in closing today on this Father's Day let's think about all these things we have to celebrate let's celebrate our heavenly Father who gave us life and who continues to sustain us and who has not and will not ever stop loving us let's celebrate that Christ came to show us the Father and offers us us a way to be his children let's celebrate those who have raised us And let's celebrate those who have led us in Christ, those spiritual mothers and fathers. And then finally, let's pray that God would help us find our place to play in the family of God, to play our part as we love and support one another around us. Amen? Can I encourage you to stand? And I'd love to pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you on this Father's Day that we can look to you, our perfect loving Heavenly Father. We just thank you for the way that you love us unconditionally, the way you have not and will never stop loving us. We thank you. You gave us life. We thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you that in Christ we see the image of the Father. We just thank you that we can be children of God, not because of anything we do or could ever do, but because we put our trust in you. Father God, help us to imitate Christ, help us to live in a way that would lead others to you help us to live in a way that we can bless and lead those around us and the next generation father god we just thank you today on this father's day we just honor you as the most perfect father that we could know bless you lord amen